0: Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. I don't know about you, but as I was listening to those songs and singing those songs, I started to feel that the message has already been preached this morning. Wonderful truths we've been singing this morning. But we're going to continue in our study of Galatians this morning, a wonderful book by Grace Alone, by Grace Alone. In Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he says this, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here in the last time he was going to speak with these elders in Ephesus, he just shared his heart with them, that he What was important, what was utmost to him, was completing the course and the ministry he received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's desire, Paul's fundamental desire was to live for the preaching of the gospel. That is what consumed him. This simple, simple, the gospel is simple, but profound message That salvation, we sung about it this morning, comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This gospel message is what Paul gave his life for. And as we're going to see in this letter, this message, this gospel, this good news has been under threat since the very foundation of the church and is still under threat today, 21st century today. And sadly, it's often threatened not by the world disbelieving, but by those in the church, as we heard last week, distorting the gospel, trying to change the very essence of gospel. These attacks these attacks that come within the church are the most serious. As verses 8 and 9, as Matt dealt with last week, tell us that this is a matter of life and death, of hell and heaven. And what's happening here, and we're going to continue, read on now in... in in chapter 1 and chapter 2, is not happening here is authority and truth are at stake. This is what really is at stake here. So this morning we're going to look at the gospel under threat by seeing the threat of Paul's apostleship, his credentials and then the attack on the gospel itself. So would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. We've got A lot to read this morning. But this is God's word to us. Galatians 1, we're going to commence from verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism because many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing about it. It said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation had set before me, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles is ordered to make sure I was not running or I not run in vain. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, unconser- just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for well, he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to, be circ- to the circumcised, worked also through me, for mine to the Gentiles." And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Just got two headings this morning. First of all, in chapter one, we're going to see Paul's defense of his apostleship and then in chapter 2 we're going to see Paul's defense of the gospel so first of all Paul's defense of his apostleship the Judaizers were wanting to set the Galatian church right by saying that Paul may claim to be an apostle but because he was not with Jesus he's not really one because he got the gospel secondhand he didn't get it from Jesus he got it from the other apostles. And therefore, his version is seriously flawed. So Paul starts his defense by saying he was not out to please men, but to be a servant of Christ. First of all, we see here that Paul was a servant of Christ. The Galatians have succumbed to the temptation of being people pleasers. And being people pleasers was a a big part of the crisis in the Galatian churches. Paul then, being aware of this, starts his defense <coughs> excuse me, by asking the question rhetorically in verse 10. "For Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He was aware, and probably he was guilty of this before he was converted, that people who are people-pleasers, those who want to just please others, tend not to make good servants of Jesus Christ because people-pleasers so easily can give in to pressure from influential people. Also, people-pleasers become overly concerned about offending people with the gospel because the gospel will offend. It will offend. Jesus was a rock of offense because it it preaches at, at the independence of man. It preaches of the pride of man. It offends our pride. It offends our independence. It challenges that. And Paul is coming under attack from the Judaizers who were false teachers who believed Paul's preaching of the gospel was deficient and should include circumcision. Now the Judaizers were a faction of the Jewish Christians. Now, I say that in a loose sense. They weren't really, but they were part of what was seen as the as church there in Galatia. But they still believed that the Levitical laws of the Old Testament were still binding on all Christians. They thought that circumcision was not an option, but it was a requirement for salvation. They believed that Paul should be preaching this. So their first attack was not on the gospel, but Paul's apostleship. So if they could discredit Paul, they could add circumcision as a requirement for salvation. They believed that he taught a different gospel from the apostles in Jerusalem, trying to split them, trying to say Paul was not the same as, as the apostles in Jerusalem. But the apostles in Jerusalem at that time were preaching only to circumcised Jews. So this issue of circumcision was not an issue to them at that time. Paul then starts to defend his character, his authority, his apostleship. He knows that if he can be discredited and can't be trusted, then the message, the gospel he preaches, also can't be trusted. Now, some of you will know the term um, Play the ball, not the man. Some of you, particularly those of you who are in the soccer world, but it's also used very often in the political world. I, I mentioned it to Matt. Matt said he never heard of it, because <laughs> he's like the soccer world. But, but it's, 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 if you've heard the expression, it means that you, it originated in the football world, but it's also used in the political world of any area of debate where it is encouraged to play the ball, play the issue, rather than the person bringing the issue. You get me? If you have an issue, a political debate, you often see the person attacked rather than the issue they're bringing. And this is what was happening here. They were playing the man, not the ball. They first of all were playing to discredit Paul. Not just talking about the difference in gospel. They were attacking Paul so they could discredit the message he preached. And then his second area of defense was saying his revelation was from Christ. You look at verses 11 and 12, in verse uh, chapter 1, he said, For I will have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear that the gospel he's preaching was not given to him by man. It was not given to him through being taught by the apostles. He said, it says in verse 16 and 17 that he, he didn't immediately after his conversion consult with anyone, nor did he go to Jerusalem to be taught by the apostles who have been with Christ. He's clearly stating here that through his encounter with Christ not just on the damascus road but in his time away he received this revelation directly from Christ he didn't go to jerusalem when he was became converted he didn't go and say i'll go to jerusalem now and be taught he went away into arabia and there he received revelation and then in his defense he goes on to talk about his conversion To Christ, we see this in 13 through 16. Paul gives testimony to his formal life when he was persecuting the church of God. He was persecuting it violently. He was trying to destroy it. He speaks of his zealousness for Judaism. But then through an encounter with Christ on the Damascus road, he became aware became aware not only of Christ's work done for him for salvation, but he became aware of his calling by grace that he'd been set apart for the ministry of preaching Christ among the Gentiles. This turnaround in Paul's life was a powerful argument for for the truth of what he was preaching, for the power of what he's preaching, and for the effect that the gospel has on somebody. Paul makes a transformation being the persecutor to preacher, from ready to kill Christians to one ready to be killed as a Christian. Only an encounter with the risen Christ would cause such a turnaround, and this is what Paul wanted his accusers to see and although it's true today that our lives are not necessary for the validating of the gospel because the gospel is now enshrined in holy scripture but our lives do have an authenticating aspect or effect on the preaching of the gospel so it's not like Paul Paul needed that because of because of the gospel because the gospel that was now we See him in the holy scriptures, but our lives need to authenticate the gospel. John Newton, be seeing often, amazing grace. Love the song. Was a man like Paul, who had his life dramatically changed by the gospel. I read this and I found this really interesting. This is what Newton composed for his gravestone, which was to be in plain marble with no other inscription than these words. John Newton, Clark, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy. It's written out that way because that's how it is on the Tuesday. That's how he that's what he wanted. Recognizing his sinful past. But what Christ has done, and the turnaround, the change by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's now preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. See some similarities here with Paul. At one stage, this was a man against the gospel, very heavy into slavery but an encounter with God, and it changed his life. No wonder he sit, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. We were all once wretches. Wretch. <laughs> but if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you've been saved by his rich mercy. The best, single best argument for the powerful truth of the gospel, other than the words itself, is a transformed life. And this was true of Paul and John Newton. Now we're going to turn to chapter two, where we see Paul's defense of the gospel. In chapter two of this letter to the Galatians, he recounts his visit to Jerusalem after a 14 year gap. And he was prompted to go. Because of a revelation. Interesting how revelations are important to Paul. He didn't go on a whim. He didn't think, oh well, fancy going to Jerusalem. I haven't been there for a while. He went because of a re- revelation. And he takes two traveling companions with him. And there are two important aspects of his, his, of his visit. His companions and his message. His companions. He takes Barnabas. Barnabas, who is a circumcised Jew, along with Paul, had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Titus, a Greek, uncircumcised Gentile. Titus himself was, as an uncircumcised Gentile, was a convert of Paul's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. and who by his very presence with him, with Paul, confronted the dispute that was going on with the false teachers. His message. The second aspect was the gospel which he preached to the Gentiles, which Paul was now laying before the Jerusalem apostles. He said, to, he, said he went up by revelation. In, in other words, he was obedient to God's call to go to Jerusalem. He was not going to Jerusalem because the apostles in Jerusalem were sent for him to check him out. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to check whether he was preaching the gospel correct. He was not being put on the carpet, as it were. He was not being interrogated. He went because Paul told him to go. So here was Paul laying before the Jerusalem apostles the the gospel he was preaching to the Gentiles. And he makes this statement, he said, I'm laying it before you in order to make sure I was not not running and had not run in vain. It was not because he had personal doubts about the gospel he was preaching and he needed reassurance from the other apostles. We may think that when we read that statement. But that's not why he went. He wanted to go to see if his ministry, past and present, should be considered fruitless by the apostles, and therefore potentially to overthrow his influence with the Gentiles. We know from what Matt walked us through last week in Galatians, that Paul was saying even if he came himself with another gospel, to be accursed. So he wasn't coming because he had doubts about the gospel. But he wanted to ensure that the apostles, and he agreed so that because if they disagreed, his effect amongst the Gentiles would be nullified. Because they would just turn and say, well, we're going to go with the Jerusalem pro- apostles. Who weren't preaching that you needed to be circumcised, but it just wasn't an issue with them at that particular time. It was a courageous and daring step for Paul to take Titus. Not just, not just going and talking about this issue of circumcision, but I'm going to bring right into, into those meetings, I'm going to bring in someone who's going to stand there, an uncircumcised Jew uh, Gentile, who these people are saying cannot be a Christian, cannot be saved unless he's circumcised. I'm just saying, it was, it was staring them right in the face. And as a result of this, Paul says that some false brothers slipped into their meetings to spy out whether Titus would need to be circumcised according to Jewish law. They wanted to go in and say, are the, are the Jerusalem apostles going to say you need to do this? they say that Titus, you, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. It's interesting when... When you've actually got somebody there, isn't it? You find yourself, you could talk in quite strong abstract terms until you actually face the person that you're talking about. Then it's a little different, isn't it? And this is what was happening here. And their intention of these four brothers slipping into the meeting was to bring them back out of the freedom that they had received in the gospel back into the slavery of the law. See, the Judea's... That Judeo's slogan we read in Acts 15 was, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was a clear, unambiguous statement made by these false brothers, these false apostles. And Paul saw this issue plainly. It was not a for him a question of circumcision or circumcision of Gentile and Jewish customs. It was a fundamental a question of the fundamental truth of the gospel, of Christian freedom versus the law, i.e., bondage. These Judaizers professing professing Christians, wanted to bring them into slavery, to introduce works of the law and make those works necessary for acceptance before God. They would bring those who are trusting in God's grace, in the personal works of Jesus Christ, received by faith, into bondage to the law for their salvation. And Paul says, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, to so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Titus was a provocation, a test case. He, as an uncircumcised Gentile, was trusting in the gospel preached by Paul that having believed in Christ, he had been accepted by God in Christ and that Paul has said that was enough for salvation. And we see this position that Paul had was confirmed By the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. Paul, though strongly contending for the truth, was strongly contending for this truth, as he realized the very gospel was at stake. It wasn't just about circumcision and uncircumcision. It was about adding. And he was determined at all costs to protect it. The gospel, when you think about the gospel, the gospel for salvation, it's simple to understand. But it's profound in its effect. And it's truly amazing that it is all by God's good grace. And Paul wanted to protect the gospel and ensure that the freedom, the freedom we have today in Christ, is something God wants us to live in the good of. But we have people who want to add rules to the basis of our salvation it's the gospel plus. Like if you want to be a Christian, you have to attend church. You have to read your Bible. You have to have your quiet time every morning. You have to be baptized in water. You have to be a member. You have to tithe. Some people would say that's necessary for salvation. All these things are means of grace. And if you are saved, it will reflect your amazement in Christ, and of Christ, and of the gospel. And the things that we should want to do, but they're not necessary requirements for salvation. We must ensure we don't turn the whole thing around. So please hear me right. I'm not saying they aren't good things for us to do. They are good things for us to do. And they're means of grace that will help us in our walk with Christ. They're means of grace that will help us stand in the difficult times of life. But they're not necessary for salvation. We have a Bible Bible that tells us of an accuser of the brethren, Satan, who would want to distort or attack the very essence of the gospel so we lose the joy of our salvation. Or find ourselves back into legalism and self-righteousness. He uses strategies and lies to get us going back into legalism. Legalism, you're not sure what I mean there, is doing things to gain acceptance to God, adding things to gain acceptance to God. The day, the day that you go to be with Christ, you are no more accepted by God. Than on the day you first trusted in Jesus. There's nothing you can add to your acceptance. You're no more. To, the day you accepted Christ, it's the day you're accepted by God. And when you go to be with Him, however long you live, whatever you do for God and Christ, you're not accepted anymore. And because we're used to people's love and acceptance. Dependent so often upon our actions and what we do. We could so easily think that God's love and God's acceptance is is similar. God's love and God's acceptance is affected by our actions. I'm going to bring up a long quote. I don't normally have such long quotes as this. But I just love what the Puritan John Owen said about this very issue. He says, when we have our quiet times for the day... Or when we have given a tithe, we are confident of God's love towards us. But when our days become crowded and personal devotions end up neglected, we start to avoid God, sensing that we are under his wrath and anger. We imagine that God is waiting for us to get ourselves together before we again enter his presence. Such thinking betrays our failure to grasp the security of our union with Christ and the depths of God's love and consequently disrupts our communion with him. Making God's love contingent on our action is a sad but common misunderstanding in the church. Remember, a believer's union is never in jeopardy for, for God's love is an eternal love. I had no beginning. That shall have no ending that cannot be heightened by any act of ours, that cannot be lessened by anything in us. While our sense of communion with God may fluctuate, His love does not grow and diminish. The wrath of God against the sin of saints was completely exhausted on the cross. We sang this morning, didn't we? It's finished. It's finished. Nothing to add. It's done. As we were talking with the men yesterday morning, it's not, it's not just believing that Jesus did, did that. It's not believing that Jesus went to the cross, but it's trusting in that. It's trusting in that's what he accomplished for us. And the wrath of God is no more towards us. And we talk about so often the, the cup when we have communion. He drank the cup dry. Your sin today... Yesterday and tomorrow, and if you don't think you're going to sin tomorrow, it's probably going to get because you're going to go to be with Jesus tonight. If you, if you, and if you're not sure you would come and talk to me. We we can talk about your sin. Is never going to be before God, to be punished. Never. Our lives are hidden in Christ. That's why these truths are so important. It's hidden in Christ. So I've got some questions for you this morning to ask yourself whether you're living in any form of self-righteousness or legalistic before God, trying to obtain his acceptance and his love. It may be that some of these questions, group leaders, I can give the questions to you, could um, frame your discussions in home group this week. So first question, do you live... Daily thinking that God's blessing is dependent upon your performance. Now, I'm going to stop on that one. I'm not going to stop on all. But it's easy for us to, to know, to know that we shouldn't be saying, no, it's not. But the test is when you mess up. When you mess up. I've messed up, Lord, I'll pray more, Lord, I'll, I'll give more, Lord, I'll attend the meetings more, Lord, I'll w- witness more as a result of what the sin they've committed. That will reveal to you that you think that God's acceptance or his blessing is dependent upon your performance. Sometimes we can answer these questions more by what happens when other situations in our lives come along. Anyway, are you living in the good of God's freedom in Christ, Or are you adding rules and regulations to the way you live? Do you tend to live by do's and don'ts? Do you struggle with others who don't meet your standards? Do you think that practicing the disciplines of grace result in God's blessing? Do you struggle to identify sin and therefore repent? Do you feel you're better than most other people? Do you feel the sense that God owes you a good life? I'm sure in this church none of us believe in the health of wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, whatever you want to call it. But deep down, When we go through trials, we go through difficulties, we can think, why me? I didn't think this could happen to me. I'm a Christian. We can buy into some of that if we're not careful. Do you seldom think of the cross? Do you seldom think of the cross? In your devotions, do you think of the cross? Is the cross foremost in your devotions? As I said, maybe this will help you in your group because this, this will reveal whether there's legalism and self-righteousness in our lives. I love, I mean, we we're singing it this morning. I, I love by the, that song, I Come By The Blood, is one of my favourites, if we're our favourites. I dare not stand on my righteousness. I love that line. I dare not. I tried two times. I'd like to at times, but then I think, I dare not. I dare not. We dare not stand on our righteousness. We dare not think our acceptance to God comes through our righteousness. In fact, every time we do that, we're in sin, and we need to repent of that. Jerry Bridges writes this, regardless of our performance, we are always dependent on God's grace, his undeserved favor, to those who deserve his wrath, regardless of our performance. We're always dependent on God's grace, his undeserved favour to those who deserve his wrath. What Paul was telling the Galatians was vital if the gospel was to be protected, that nothing should be added to faith in Christ alone by grace alone, faith in Christ alone by grace alone, and nothing more should be added to that. Of course, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, we're to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have, live lives that reflect the gospel, lives that reflect Christ, worthy of the gospel. But we do that out of love. We do that out of wanting to please our Savior, wanting to honour God, wanting to glorify God in our lives. You see, the things I do and you do from now on and they won't change my acceptance, but the things I do will affect God's glory, God's glory to be seen amongst us. We need to be careful not to add exhortations of how we live as, as Christians as being necessary for salvation, although those things there. We mustn't, we mustn't reverse Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, 3 tells us all we are in Christ, 4, 5, 6 tells us how to live. We mustn't reverse it. So often the Christian churches reverse it. It talks about what we have to do to be a Christian in terms of how we live. But we does not deal with it that way. He tells us first of who we are. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And then he says, I, I kind of feel as though if it, 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 it's in a letter and I think if Paul was saying it, he'd it, probably stop and say it at the end of chapter three. Now, now you got this. Are you sure? you got it. Okay, now we'll talk about living a life worthy. Trouble is, we just read it off. But it's important because it's, the, it's what fuels us, it's what motivates us. So for us, we need to be able to distinguish between the essence of the gospel, what is, I. Uh, what is required by God for his acceptance of us in Christ, and our desire, fueled and motivated by the Holy Spirit, to grow in progressive sanctification, in other words to grow more like Christ. And can I say just, I wasn't going to say this morning, but I'm going to say, this is so important that we keep to the essence of the gospel when we share the gospel with others. We keep the main thing, the main thing, as somebody once said. We don't go into all the secondary issues. It's not sort of talking to people and telling them that they've got to change and they've got to do this and they've got to live, live like we live. First, first of all, they need to hear the gospel. They need to uh, hear the unadulterated gospel with not all these things added on. I sometimes think the way we talk to non-Christians, you know, I struggle as a Christian with the Holy Spirit within me. How much more so is the world and the values they have going to struggle That's not what we need to bring to them. We need to bring them the gospel. And sometimes our dissatisfaction with our growth in Christ or our sins can cause us to be concerned about our salvation. And that's why it's so important to be clear on the basis. Because you can separate it out. It doesn't affect my salvation. It doesn't affect my acceptance to God. It doesn't affect God's love for me. But it does affect how I'm living before him for his glory and for the preaching of the gospel to have authentic lies. If we don't do this, we make this distinction we can very easily flow into the same conflict that the Judeas has had. There's nothing more for us to add. It's grace alone through faith alone by grace alone. And whether we're having a good day Or a bad day. Nothing separates us from the love of God. I love this from Jerry Bridges again. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Every day, our lives are to be lived in the light and the good of God's grace. And Paul then just concludes his time here in his letter to the Galatians, this, this, this portion concludes his time with referencing his time with Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem, talking about them as being pillars of the church, but saying they affirmed, they affirmed Paul and the gospel he was preaching. They recognized the grace of God was given to him and so they gave him the right hand of fellowship, confirming Paul and Barnabas' ministry to the Gentiles, while they would take the gospel to the circumcised. They, however, had one request. I found this interesting in, in the light of this. This to tucked in at the end. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. A bit surprising in a sense, because... They actually went, Titus went as a result of the famine with with finance for the Jewish Jerusalem church because they were in need. But it's interesting that they asked Paul to remember the poor. What seems to be a throwaway line at the end of Paul's defense of the gospel is a reminder that along with getting our doctrine of the gospel correct, we ought to remember the poor. I found this personally challenging. I talked to Matt about it as I was doing this. You know, we we hold to orthodox Christianity, and sometimes it's the liberal Christianity who does so much more in remembering the poor, but sadly forgetting the gospel. We need to remember, hold to the gospel, but remember the poor. And just thank you in saying this. Just. Opportunity to thank you for your contributions to the food bank, to the orphans uh, through Covenant Mercy, to Belarus, to Ukraine and Hungary, where over the last year in our church meeting, I think we gave 33,000 over the year, and that's without the food bank. So thank you for that. But as opposed to liberal Christianity, who do remember so well, we need. So here Paul and the apostles were inextricably connecting the gospel to caring for the poor. Just finally, as a church, we are to share the gospel for salvation in its simplest form, not adding anything to faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, keeping the main thing, the main thing. The gospel is simple. The gospel is amazing. It's amazing grace. And the gospel is Christ-exhorting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this glorious gospel, this wonderful gospel, because it's a gospel about our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. It reflects what Christ has done on our behalf. Thank you this morning. Thank you this morning for Paul who many years ago stood firm to protect the gospel so that today we don't have a gospel that's been added to. But Lord help us not to add. Help us not to add other things, to feel that we'll gain acceptance more acceptance to God or more love by God. But I pray that we as a church will live in the in the good of the gospel we would each day preach the gospel to ourselves reminding ourselves every day of what Christ has done that through faith in Jesus Christ (coughs) by his grace alone we have eternal relationship with God that one day we'll see and when we see him we will be like him. But Lord, until we till that day, Lord help us as we walk out this gospel amongst this broken world. In Jesus' name. Amen.